How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. The T20 World Cup is coming to our shores in 2020 with the best of the best striving for the ultimate glory. Before that all kicks off, let's join Mel Jones as she chats to cricket royalty on road to the T20 World Cup. One of the superstars of the game is joining us on Road to the T20 World Cup this afternoon. Let's see if you can guess who I have sitting opposite me at the moment. Career spanning 19 years, 262 days, 309 international matches, most of those as captain. She's captain England to Ashes series wins, 50 over World Cup titles and a T20 World Cup title. Scored over 10,000 international runs. She's got a CBE at the end of her name. She's led England on and off the field from being purely amateur to the professional sporting landscape. And now a sought-after commentator and coach. I think everyone probably knows by now, Charlotte Edwards. Welcome. Good morning, Mal. It is morning, isn't it? You're, you're, you're a little bit, you know, you're, you're sparky, but you're about to go off to three hours of throwing cricket balls. And you've got a smile on your face. Yeah, I love it. Um, yeah, looking forward to um, preparing some of the strikers' um, batters for this weekend against the Sixers. Pointy end of the season too, so we appreciate your time. Strikers looking good. Not to put a moz on anything at the moment. Yeah, they've played brilliantly and, um, yeah, big weekend for us against the Sixers. And then, you know, we've already qualified for the semis, so that's a good place to be in coming into the last round. OK, we will chat all things T20 cricket, but I want to take you back to begin with, to the start of your uh, cricketing career. Are you the most famous person coming out of Piddley, Cambridgeshire? I think I am, Mel. I've <laughs> even got a um, placket on the, um, on the uh, village sign. You do? So as you okay. drive into town... Yeah. There is I wouldn't call it a town, Mel. Okay. It's the smallest, um, smallest, probably one of the smallest villages in England. No shop. We have one pub and we've got a little pond. And about, um, just outside the pond is um, a sign with um, Piddly and then my sort of um, face on, on the sign. It's probably the worst sign ever. I'll have to show you it one day. <laughs> I'm going to go there this year, next year. You won't miss so, it. Hang on a minute. So did you have a choice of whether or not the sign was at the pond or the pub? I had no okay. whatsoever. My mum did, so pr- hence she hence, chose right. chose the pond. And if your dad had a choice, would it have been at the pub? Yeah, he probably would have, yeah. Okay. <laughs> dad was a potato farmer. Was it just spuds on the farm or was it a variety of vegetables? Um, it was mainly potatoes, um, but we did a lot of other things, onions and, and in, obviously in the summer, the wheat and so on. But yeah, it was mainly a potato farm. Daniel runs the farm now and... I keep as far away as possible from it, really, because um, I'm useless. <laughs> so you didn't get down and dirty when you were a kid? Actually, I was telling some of the girls the other day, I did. I used to have to spend my, normally my half terms were down at the Piddly, um, Piddly Fen, um, you know, picking potatoes. And that's where, you know, that's where a lot of my childhood was spent, but loved it. And, um, and we used to throw rotten potatoes at each other. That was my fielding practice when I was um, uh, a seven or eight year old. That's interesting. So you would have met Faith Thomas, former Australian cricketer, first Indigenous uh, woman to play cricket for Australia, or any sport for Australia. Yeah. And she famously talks about throwing, which is, isn't a great thing to do because it's to animals, but she threw stones at galahs and she said that's where she got a, mm. such a strong arm. So yours came from 
chucking spuds. Yeah, we used to throw potatoes. If we got a rotten potato, you'd try and hit your brother with it because it would stink <laughs> for the rest of the day. So that was, yeah, yeah. That's so why I was quite good at hitting the stumps, I think, at the end. How many um, different varieties of potatoes are there in the world? I have no idea, Mel. Okay. You're asking the wrong person. I should probably remember. I that. should have probably given you that question before we started. Um, was was it just cricket when you were growing up? Would you play all sorts of sports? Um, well, because we lived on a farm, we used to just play football in the winter, cricket in the summer. We had quite a big yard um, at the farm, so like literally winter evenings were spent with a football, and then the summer was spent um, in in there playing cricket with a tape ball. And if we were really lucky, we got to play on the garden. Mum wasn't Ooh. too happy at times. But it's funny, over the last few weeks, been talking about, you know, how your environment sort of influences how you play. And I was a very much, a, there was a, I was a leg side player when I played and how our garden was kind of structured was that, you know, the leg side was where I got, could get lots of my runs. So um, Belinda Clark spoke about this on our, our f- first podcast, Backyard Cricket or, you know, Street Cricket, shaping the way in which you play. Yeah, and, and speaking to a few of the girls actually over the last few weeks, we've spoken about why we're so strong in certain areas and I'm absolutely certain that because if I would have literally played on the offside I'd have probably broken a window and we'd never have got to play the mum said if you break a window you'll never play on the garden again so hence the reason I played on the leg side which is hysterical because I remember playing against you and our team plans were so strong on the legs just bowl on the stump she's going to miss one sooner or later and you you never did curse you (laughs) (laughs) I did miss a few but the the girls that you're talking to now are they still did they still grow up on backyard cricket yeah, no, absolutely. A Fantastic. lot of them um, did, and and that's you know I think obviously over here it's um, it's played such a big part, isn't it, in, in sort of children how they grow up. But um, probably not as strong in England. It's, yeah, um, but because of space. Yeah, mainly space, but also um, you know, yeah, we were lucky to have a farm and, and a backyard that was massive. Really, I've asked everyone on the show so far their most vivid sporting memory. It doesn't have to be a, a cricket one. It could be anything. Growing up, watching on TV, going down, watching local sport. Uh, international sport what springs to mind well I think one of the things growing up for me was I always used to watch the FA Cup final um it was such a big event in England and yeah. I remember sitting in front of the TV from an early age you know from 11 till about five o'clock just watching um the FA Cup final watching the teams arrive and and one year one of the guys who my dad knew really well um Alec Chamberlain played in a in a FA Cup final to see someone you'd grown wow. up knowing yeah Playing golf for Liverpool is probably, yeah, one of those moments you think you can achieve something, even if you're from a very small place. It's um, that underdog, isn't yeah, it? The chance so, of the underdog getting up and, and doing well. And the fact that you know that person. Yeah. And I, used, I was on top of the world just sitting there watching him. And so, yeah, very lucky. Who do you follow in the football? Well, I'm not a massive... I, I don't yeah. actually have a... T- Everton was my team growing up, but only because yeah. he played there. And yeah. um, But I haven't... I don't really follow it. I'd be, it'd be wrong of me to say I follow a team now, really, because I spend so much time away from home now. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, we just had a chat before we got on about the differences and the change in the game, which has been absolutely massive over the last sort of five to ten years. One of the big things is that we played a lot of club cricket and a lot of county cricket. I, mean, I know there's still state cricket, but... Um, Memories of playing at, at Hayes and how much that shaped your cricketing career? Um, I, I love playing any type of cricket. So, um, And I, I think it was very strong back in the day that you played effectively. Your club cricket was like the county cricket yeah. now in England. So, yeah, I mean, we had some fierce battles against a number of club sides. And and I actually, um, you know, I think that's something we need to, to get back to in England is actually really value club cricket um, because it has fell away recently and I think the future of the game is within the clubs and and hopefully uh, attracting a lot of young girls to those clubs so yeah I mean uh, 
I mean, any game I played, I loved, but um, certainly club club battles early on were great. It's a hard balance, though, isn't it? I mean, a lot of the guys don't get back. They never see their club team pretty much at all these days. Um, but I'm, I'm a massive believer in it as well. Why, why is it so important that the players get back? Um, I think so, you know, young girls can see... You know, they like, you know, England players playing and valuing it. And I, I actually do think it's great over here when you see some, sometimes when I'm driving around Adelaide, some of the state players are playing, the male state players, yeah. and even the, the girls are playing. Um, and, and I think, um, it, you know, that's where you come from. That's where, you know, effectively you start the game. And it's always good to give back. And it's always good to have a hit, I think. I used to like yeah. going back just to have a game <laughs> where maybe you're not under as much pressure. and. Yep. Um, you can try a few things. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, they're the places you need to go and you know practice. And, and you know, if you want to go and practice a scoop shop, it's probably easier to do it in club cricket than probably in a in a in an international game of cricket. Played a lot of men's and boys cricket as well. Yeah, I mean, I put a lot of my success down to the fact I played boys and men's cricket. I think facing fast bowling from an early age meant, you know, when you came into the international arena, that you know, likes of Catherine Fitzpatrick when I started playing. Yeah. They were quick, but they they weren't uncomfortably quick because you'd faced a lot of boys, and also you'd face boys, you know, trying to knock your head off from an early age yeah. and and giving you a bit of um, stick and sledging mm-hmm. you. So, you know, it 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 kind of um, stood me in good stead, I think, to play international cricket and 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 not fear it. And I'd gone through far worse playing boys and men's cricket, but um, it was all go- all good fun. Were they witty with their little they, bit of lip? They were just obsessed to um, whether I wore a box or not. That was the, that was the only thing they wanted. What is it? That's typically the the first question I'd get asked at a sporty's night. They just were obsessed whether I wore a box, and once I told them I didn't, um, yeah, they kind they of had just, nothing much. They didn't really have, a, you know, they haven't got good bants anyway, have they, boys? So. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it was um, it was quite amusing, and and actually you come up against some of those guys now. You go to dinners and they're there. Yeah. And you say, I played against you when you were fourteen. Um, <laughs> they were probably sledging me, but um, <laughs> but it's nice to think they've followed your career and they've yeah. um, seen how far you've got. But you know, back then it, it just wasn't as as accepted. You know, girls cricket, and you know it was it was hard because you had every time you played cricket, you having to sort of. Um, yeah, justify that you should be playing out there, but um, yeah, it was all good. You're one of the unique players in the sense that so much of women's cricket is based off white ball cricket. You debuted in a test match. I think most people who have played test matches or want to play test matches would love their first ever game for, for the country to be in a test match. Memories of that? Do you, is it vivid in your mind? Oh, it's, I remember it like it was yesterday. I mean, I remember getting the call from the head of selectors saying that I was going to be picked. I was actually in the garden and my mum at ran the out. ripe old age of I was sixteen. Yeah. Mum ran out. She said, "There's an Australian lady on the phone," and I was like, "What is that?" <laughs> ran in, and it was Anne Gordon, then the head selector of the the England women, and she said, "You've been selected to play in the the third Test match against New Zealand at Guildford," and I was like, well, "Right, when do you when do you want me there?" <laughs> and it was like I think it was the Saturday I had to be there on the Monday. Turned up, they said you're going to have to give fifty pound for your blazer, so we turned up. Gave over fifty pounds, got a blazer, and then got all this sort of random cricket kit. Sort of like back in the day, they would um, they wouldn't have a necessarily a team sponsor. It was just lots of different sponsors would give it like a t-shirt to warm up. They'd give product, for, yeah. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you turn up and 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 it was just the best four days ever. I mean, to play against the, the then New Zealand team, which were a strong team, Debbie Hockley, yeah, um, and um, yeah, and to open the batting with someone I'd grown up admiring, Jan Britton. I mean, it was just um, yeah say the best four days um, and you know thoroughly enjoyed it played in a skirt last time it was the first and last time I played in the skirt 
for England. So um, yeah. very fond memories. And 50 quid for your jacket. Yeah, I'd give 100 quid for it. Yeah. 50 quid for it. So if anyone complains now about their kit. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we, we'll mention this. Um, when you grew up, though, did you know that was a, there was an England women's cricket team? Was that your goal in life? Um, I didn't actually. It was. Um, it was. You know, I grew up watching um, the England men, and I thought, thought, you know, because I just played boys and men's cricket, I thought, well, my only avenue into cricket is to play for the England men's team, which yeah. all seemed quite, quite logical. Real. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I, um, uh, you know, I remember watching the World Cup final in 1993, and I think that was the moment that I really thought. I can do this and I want to be part of this. And, you know, to think three years later I was actually making my debut after watching that final at Lords. Um, yeah, it was incredible, really, to think how quickly it, it happened. As great as the progression has been in the women's game, are you still a little disappointed the lack of Test match cricket for everybody? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, it's something I think that a lot of the players would like to see more of. And I think. I would like to see the current Ashes format, you know, the the um, the multi-series um, format series played across all bilateral series because yeah. I think for us to, to keep the game growing and and just for, probably for the likes of Bangladesh and Sri Lanka and how good would they be at test cricket? Yeah. And I think it would really sort of hopefully um, progress those countries and, and I think for, you know, certainly for England players to go and play in the subcontinent in a test match, I mean, what if, yep. you know be such a, a great experience um I was very lucky to play in India and play in test matches and they were they were brilliant games of cricket um, and it really tests you as a as a player moving on to one day internationals 1997 you became at the time the youngest player to hit a one day ton and about four hours later Blinda Clark passed that highest ever score with her 229 um, still just a teenager traveling to India touring with a national side did you pinch yourself back then? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, it's the first time I've been out of Piddly, really. Um, <laughs> uh, and like to think I was going to India, you know. It, Piddly was, to Mumbai. I mean, you yeah, couldn't get two polar opposite cities, could you? You couldn't. And, and it, I remember my first trip from the, from the Delhi airport to our accommodation. I just remember like just looking out of the bus and it was just... I was like, wow, what is this? You know, where like, am I? Yeah, yeah, where am I? What's going on? And... Um, but an unbelievable sort of six weeks of just touring India and experiencing so many different things on and off the field. It was, it was. Um, I think I think it really shaped me as a person in terms of moving forward. Um, my cricket, certainly, there was some real highs and lows within that trip. You know, I got 173 one day, and the next day I got a duck against Australia. I mean, that's how how cruel cricket can be, can't it? Yeah. And I remember the Aussies they came Fitzy especially. That was in they Nagpur. Yeah. Yeah. And running in, and you just knew they were after me because I'd got the big score the day yeah. before, and it was my birthday, and there was just so many things going on. But it was just um, a great grounding for me, and um, you know, I, not, the best thing I ever did was stay on and watch the final. I watched the Australian yeah. team win at Eden Gardens, and watched that many people at Eden Gardens. So um, yeah, really fond memories of my first trip to India. It took us just a little bit about that rivalry, Australia-England, because that was that was the big one. It's, it probably still is in, in a lot of ways. Um, you wouldn't have experienced any anything like that um, still as a, as a teenager coming into the team. Was it a shock to the system? Um, it was probably more like this. This is the this is the kind of environment I want to play in, and and I thought these are some of the 
like legends of the game I'm playing against. I'm 17, but I, I didn't feel out of my depth. But yeah. um, I knew it was going to be a contest, and I just thought this is this is where I want to play. This is what I want to do, and I'm, I've thoroughly enjoyed every contest with Australia since. You know, good and bad. Um, and that's probably the I think I said in the summer I don't know if I said it to you but it's the one series I missed The Ashes is yeah. was just the ultimate and just seemed like every run was worth more you know double and every wicket was worth more as well and yeah it's just the ultimate series for me and yeah probably the one thing I do miss but I don't miss all the training that comes with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm with you on that one. Um, 2009 was um, an amazing year for, for England cricket. It, it probably was the, the turning point in a, a lot of ways. Yes, there was a lot of build-up to mm. that, but you win the first ever T20 World Cup title, you win a 50-over World Cup title in Australia, um, and you win an Ashes series as well. It doesn't get any better than that. I, I don't want you to pick. It's like picking your favourite kid, isn't it, yeah. <laughs> out of the three? But I want to go back to, to Sydney to to win that title because at that stage, the 50-over format was was the big one. Yeah. It, was, it was the World Cup. The, the T20 was just sort of starting. Um, you were up against Australia, who were the, the favourites. They were at home. Um, and it was a it was a magnificent series by England. Yeah, no, I think we we gained a lot of confidence from the two thousand eight tour. We went to Australia where we 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 won the Ashes back at um, we we gained the Ashes sorry retained the Ashes in Barrel. Um, and I think that tour went a long way for us in, in terms of belief to, that we could win the the World Cup because we played so well against you know a very good Australian team. So. We went there with confidence, but you, you you just never know with the World Cup. Mm. Um, everything sort of just fell our way in terms of you know some of the results and so on. So um, so yeah, to to be in a World Cup final in Australia, it was against New Zealand. I think we all thought we'd probably be playing Australia. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It was just um, yeah, it was quite an, a, a long day and <laughs> it seemed to be drawn out. You know, we did. You know, it, it was such a weird game of cricket. They started so well. We then we then got loads of wickets then they sort of had a bit of a kind of um a, a last sort of few batters got a few runs I think it was Lucy Doolin and then yep, um, yep, and then we got off to a fly with the bat and then we got, had a little bit of a hiccup in the middle and then Holly Colvin made it look easy at the end so um <laughs> and then yeah it was yeah it was I mean it was something you always dream of doing and to do it over there you know over here, sorry, in Australia, was, mm. it was uh, very special, and I think with, without doubt that was the highlight of my career. I mean, you can say all these other things, but yeah. when you win the first World Cup as as a player and as a captain, I think yeah, it was pretty special. Because you've had some highlights. I think back to the ticker tape parade with the uh, the English men's team off the back yeah. of their Ashes Ashes win. Um, those moments there as well. Where does that sit? Yeah, I mean, there's been yeah the, the 2005. I think was. Um, Again, you know, that was such a big series for us in terms of we hadn't beaten this great Australian team for 10 years. And yeah. it was, um, yeah, that I think, again, those small little moments have, have built up to us, I think, you know, being and having the confidence to, to beat Australia and to do it in Australia. And, and then, you know, Ashes wins have, have been special. I think the new Ashes format is possibly the hardest cricket you play now in yeah. terms of over every format and um and i think we all saw from the the summer it's it's tough although australians made it look easy in the summer i think it was far harder than that it, that it looked you captain the majority of all those fantastic wins were you a born leader or a made leader i think i was born a born leader i think i always wanted to captain always had a um 
I always had an eye for, for captaincy, for tactics and, and so on. So, yeah, and I even now I just sit there. See, one thing I miss now, other than the Ashes series, is actually if I could just go on the pitch and be invisible uh, and not have to field, but actually captain a game of cricket is the, the thing I miss probably the most. Would you mic someone up? Remember, um, uh, yeah, Bob, Bob Woolman did that for um, with Hansi Cronier in the I World could. Cup. I'm not sure the captain will help me, <laughs> but um, it's interesting. It, next summer, because I'm going to be coaching in the in the hundred in England, yeah. there's actually a time out, and actually, I, I feel like that's something that um, I'd I'd really enjoy, and you know, and I think as long as it's done um, constructively, yeah. um, I, I think it's something that's good for the game. Toughest part about captaincy. Um, I think your own form when when things aren't going well. I think um, you know I'm reading a lot at the moment about Joe Root and his you know mm-hmm. his captaincy. And you really feel for those players because you know as a as a player you sorry as a captain you you just want to lead from the front and you- with threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. No, but your, your, your runs and your wickets, whatever you do, um, just gives you so much more confidence. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I really feel for him at the moment because... Whatever you say, he will be feeling it because yep. um, you want your team to do well. Um, and it's, it just makes it, if you're not scoring runs, you're losing. It, it's just the worst feeling ever. But um, I think as long as you stay consistent and, and keep really positive, I think that's what you can do. 2016 T20 World Cup was in India. Um, speaking of form, your form was great. <laughs> Leading run score from, for England. Um, it was a, it, the semi final against Australia really could have gone either way. There was yeah. moments for, for both teams to win that to go through to the final uh, against the Windies at, at Eden Gardens. So you're probably a couple of balls away there from, from going through to the final. Um, so form's good, um, leadership good, and then all of a sudden, it, I think I've read somewhere that it, it did blindside you that um, England management in Mark Robinson and, and Claire Connor decided not to select you for the next tour. It was probably one of the biggest t- talking points, I think, in women's cricket ever. It, it actually it went global, it's, and you're starting to think, oh, here we go, this is, this is the shift in women's cricket, that it has made such news. Um, the moment that you got the... It was a phone call? Well, I, I, got a, yeah, I got a text message from Claire Connor, and she said, can I come and see you tonight? And mm. I thought, well, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I kind of... It, yeah, I probably that's from that moment I had an inkling that there was something not quite right because yeah. she doesn't come round of a, of a Tuesday evening that often. Yeah. Um, so probably from then I was half expecting something was going to happen. But, yeah, I guess, you know, it just then, you know, she told me the news and I was just like, wow, that's... Um, I wasn't expecting it at all. Mm. So, yeah, and then over a cup, you know, a few days, um, I met with Mark Robinson and so on and... Yeah, and it, it was look. It was a difficult period because you know I hadn't hadn't seen it massively coming, but yeah. um, but you know a part of me understood, but part of me just you know I guess some of the reasoning behind it. You know they said if it was an Ashes this summer you'd be playing. So some of the kind of examples they gave me weren't great. So yeah, it was it was yeah it wasn't easy. But do you know what? In many ways, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And mm. I look back on it. I think at the time. Um, 
I think I remember ringing my mum and she said, all good things come to an end, Charlotte. And I went, you're absolutely <laughs> right. And, and things do happen for a reason. And I'm absolutely certain Don't you love it. mums? Oh, she was great. She just thought there was something wrong with me. So she thought... I... <laughs> and then she was like, she went, what's wrong? And I said, um, I, I'm not going to be playing for England anymore, Mum. And she went, oh, she goes, I thought there was something really badly wrong with you. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was great. And, you know, I had a lot of support. Um, yeah, and I, I think, yeah, like I said, it was, it was probably a, the best decision that they've made and probably made for me, yeah. My mum said to me one time when I was going through not, not something similar <laughs> like that at all, but she said, sweetie, she said, the, uh, the cemetery is full of irreplaceable people. Mm. And it sort of puts you in your spot a little bit, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> it makes you sort of, yeah, take check of it. Did you, did you fight for it to start with, though? Um, did you dig your heels in and say, hang on a minute? No, do you know what? I ju- all I said was, like, you know, with 50 over cricket, I could probably understand T20 cricket. Yeah. Um, but that that sort of World Cup that was sort of twelve months away at the time. Yeah. Um, but then I, I quite quickly like didn't because I just thought he if they don't want you then you've got to just move on and mm-hmm. and and more and the reason I probably wanted people to know the real reason was because I didn't want to go away from the game because people knew that I wouldn't just give it up. Yeah. But I did it for the team's sake because I d- they needed me to just move away rather than being standing there going to training or trying to get back in the team yep. I needed a clean cut but I needed people to know the truth yeah um although at the time you know I, I don't think the ECB wanted me to tell the truth but mm. for me to move on with my life it, yeah everything needed to be out there so I was never ever in these type of interviews going oh yeah no it was my decision and yeah it, it wasn't my decision it yep. was it was their decision but I fully accepted it and I, I, I'll move on and and it made it just made everything so much easier in my press conferences, and yep. that I could just move on and and you know, and it, it's worked out in the right way. Move on, you have to bigger and better <laughs> things as well. I'm going to mention a couple of names to you here because um, I think a lot of people listening to this podcast probably you know are followers of of um, women's cricket, so they'll know these names. And those that haven't, I think they're pretty important names to chat about, particularly when we're coming up to World Cups. And these people have been such an integral part of getting the game to where it yeah. is at the moment. Rachel Hayhoe Flint. Oh, Rachel. I mean, what a hero. I mean, she was the first name I heard of growing up and, you know, every person in England knows, knows Rachel Hayhoe Flint and, you know, and she's she was so good to me and, you know, when this all happened with England, she was the first person to write to me exactly at the same time. To write to, to you as well. Yeah. Isn't that cute? Um, <laughs> yeah, and she said, you know, be dignified and, and every. Every th- she was really good to talk to at the time, but yeah. she found the time to ring me straight away and talk to me. And, um, you know, that's from someone, you know, who's held in such high esteem in England. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I feel very, very lucky to have got to know Rachel. And, you know, obviously, you know, when she passed away, it was really, really sad. Yeah, just before the World Cup yeah. too, which was, yeah. So, so, so she kicked off the World Cup yeah. even before the men had a, had a World Cup. So she was such a pivotal part to the game. Um, you've mentioned this name already, and it was an absolute pleasure that I, I got to play play against her as well. Jan Britton. Oh, you know, growing up, you know, as a you know, 12 or 13-year-old girl playing club cricket, playing against her, and then... Just watching her, I just love watching. My dad loved JB as well. Mm. He absolutely loved her. So she was someone I just wanted to be like. And and she she actually was so good to me. She'd always put an arm around my shoulder. And, you know, I felt like she had a soft spot for me as well. Yeah. Um, 
and then to open with her in my first game for England was incredible. And then over the, I think that four-year period, we we played a bit together. Um, yeah, we, we were sick of the side of you guys yeah, opening for England. <laughs> yeah, when, in the 98 series when yeah. she played with a broken broken yeah. finger. She was tough. Yeah. She was tough as they come. But I'll never forget, we walked out to bat together. She went, kiddo, you take the first ball. And, and that was in my first game. And she had that much faith in me to take the first ball yeah. in the test match. And I just thought, yeah, you're an absolute... Yeah, she was an absolute hero. Um, th- this woman, I... I hope I'm as sprightly and energised <laughs> and you know, <laughs> full of life. Um, I, I wish I hope that now, but let alone at the ripe old age of. I don't actually don't know how old oh. Enid Bakewell is. It's it could be a bit of a mystery. But she is an amazing woman. She is. She's quite incredible. And when you meet her, her passion and love for the game, oh, it just outweighs anyone I've ever met. Um, I mean. Surprised she's not even here, you know. Like yeah. she normally just turns <laughs> just up, doesn't pops she? Up. Yeah, true. Um, I'm sure she'll be here for the T20 World Cup. You better absolutely. believe it. Absolutely. Um, and I wouldn't uh, be surprised if she knew every Katy Perry song. She'll study things yeah, and get she things would. right. Yeah. I remember Eni coaching me when I was, you know, 12, 13, and her left arm orthodox, yeah. her batting. I mean, she was well. Brilliant. One of only three players to hit a hundred and take ten wickets yeah. in, a, in a Test match with both them and, and Betty Wilson. And I'm so lucky. I actually saw her just towards the end of her sort of career. She was bowling her left arm, and she'd always get me out. Um, but um, yeah, unbelievable lady. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll see her in, um, in in Australia in March. And the last one is a you pl- you've played with her, but just in terms of the transition from, and you've seen seen it all from amateur where you pay for your own England uniform and changing in the back of cars and the likes all the way through to the fully professional era. It's Claire Connor. Yeah, Claire's played a massive part, hasn't she, in terms of in English cricket from from being England captain to now being managing director of the ECB. And she's she's overseen all the changes that have happened at the at the ECB and, and, and the re, more recent one with the restructure as well with you know twenty million coming into the game. You know, Claire's a good friend of mine. We obviously had it was a horrible moment for her having to tell me that my England career was over. But so you've had her over on a Tuesday night since that no, I infamous call? Okay. Night, but, um, but we, you know, we still keep in touch and, and um, you know, I knew what she had to do was, was what she needed to do for, for the game. And, but, um, yeah, she's done a huge amount for English women's cricket. Um, sometimes doesn't, I don't think, gets the plaudits she deserves in, in England. Um, but, um, but, yeah, she's done a, a magnificent job. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to let Charlotte Edwards warm up her shoulder because she's got three hours of throwing to do for the Adelaide Strikers in a little bit. And we'll be back to talk all things T20 World Cup. Pleased to say Charlotte Edwards is all warmed up, both for uh, her training session and for the next little bit, which is all things T20 World Cup in February, March of next year. You excited? I'm really excited. I think just watching the cricket over the last few few weeks you just get an appetite to what they, this World Cup could do for, for the game so yeah very excited You know what it takes to win a T20 title you won the first one in 2009 with, with England at Lords. Um, the West Indies have won one at Eden Gardens 2016 the other four though have all gone to Australia uh, 2010, 12 14 and 18 um, what's it going to take to topple them? Yeah uh, some really Big performances, I think. Um, they've got just real depth, um, and and I think you know they've had a, a consistent squad now for um, a couple of years. Um, yeah, so that it's going to be tough. But I think some of the teams will 
have belief that they can do it. And I think that's from some of the, the, the players being out here in the WBBL that, um, you know, there's been some strong performances. That's that's a really good point you make. And, and I've, we've seen it in, um, in netball with the Super League over here in Australia that they've opened it up and New Zealand players came over. They used to have New Zealand teams in. Then a lot of the England players have been coming over and playing. And a lot of people saying that's actually helped England netball. They won the um, Commonwealth Games on, on the mm. Gold Coast, which was a, a shock against Australia. Do you think that's the same for the WBBL? Certainly. Um, you know, if you look at, you know, there's five or six New Zealand players over here who are, who are putting in really good performances. That can only give them confidence coming yeah. into to the World Cup. I think England players, you know, they've, they've performed well. Some of their batters off, off the back of the ashes, they would have hoped to come here and put in some strong performances, which they have done. Um, and the South Africans, I think, you know, there's been, you know, cap and, and try on especially. Um, so no. is that fear factor being diminished a yeah. little bit? Well, we um, we put sort of our success in 2009. A lot of our players came out and played club cricket in Sydney and actually were just playing against some of the Aussie players. And they actually suddenly realised, well, you know, you, you've got the same fears as I've got. You know, yeah. when you're playing the same teams with them. And that's what the one thing I noticed when I started playing WBBL was, you know, you understand that these players, you know, they've got the same fears as you. That, you know, they... they um, you, you just think they're invincible when you play against them, but yep. they're not. Um, and I think this is what these probably players are, are starting to realise. How competitive will this World Cup be in comparison to other ones? I think when it first sort of started, you probably would have said New Zealand, India, England and Australia in the semi, and that's exactly how it happened. You guys beat probably Australia in probably one of the best T20 games I've ever seen, which was at the Oval. Um, magnificent run chase. But it was... Basically, those four teams. Mm. Um, it's a little bit broader now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, every time I go to a World Cup, I keep saying it's going to be the best yet. I, I truly believe that because, you know, you've got the West Indies, you know, South Africa, I think are an outside chance. I really do. I think. You're saying um, this before, yeah. Why is that? Yeah, I just think. And, and I spoke to Ishmael the other day and I said, like, you, you look at their bowling attack, they've got Ishmael and Cap. They're arguably two of the best opening bowlers. Now, they knock over the top three in the yeah. first six. Win the power play. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you've got the likes of Darnay Van Nierkirk. And, and they're batting, you know, Mignon Dupree now. She's been very consistent. Career best form, I think, in the T20s. Yeah, yeah. and then Chloe Tryon. I mean, the other night, we did not know where to bowl at her. They were just going out the out the ground. Thankfully, <laughs> we, we just got over the line. But but you know they must be taking so much confidence from this tournament, mm -hmm. and you just hope at some point they're just gonna you know fulfil all their potential that we've seen. We, we keep yeah. saying, oh, you know, I think the the semi final of the fifty over World Cup. You just feel they missed an opportunity there against England. But this year, who knows? This might be their their year. New Zealand. They've been. There and thereabouts for, for so, so long. They won a World Cup, 50-over World Cup in 2000. We had Amy Satterthwaite on the, the second of these podcasts and, and she spoke about the boot of Elise Perry getting in the way of their um, chance in 2010 in the West Indies. Um, is it, it, you almost feel in a sense that this might be this T20 and then the next 50-over, their last chance for a while because of the senior players. You've got Susie Bates and Sophie Devine um, sort of at the other end of the career and they're certainly yeah. not starting out. Um, where do they sit? I think if you'd have asked me six months ago, I would have probably said I, I don't think they'll make the semi-finals. But I think mm -hmm. having seen the way Sophie Devine is playing at the moment, I mean, she, her game's gone to another level. I mean, you know, she some of the innings she's played for us, so controlled. Um, you know, I just think you know she could she can win a game on her own. 
there's no no doubt about with Batamble, I think Susie with her consistency as well. I think Rachel Priest, if they pick her finally, um, I mean she got forty odd off twenty balls against us at the weekend. Yeah, they've got match winners that a lot of other t- you know there's not many players in the world can get seventy or thirty. They've got probably three that can. Yeah. And, and Mamelia Kerr, I still think, and, and Leah Tahuhu. You've got, mm. I've mentioned five players there. They're world class. Yeah. And so, you know, you've got those type of players in the T20 team. Um, you, you should go a long way. Can you put your finger on what, what's been the, um, the key ingredient or just the switch in the mindset for Sophie Devine? I think probably just maturing as a, as a player. I think, you know, I think she might do just 30. And I think, you, you know, you, you play your best cricket. And, she seems just like, you know, she looked like previously to hit every ball in the power play. Now she's very controlled. She just, you know, if there's a good ball, she plays it back. And, and actually she's been slower through the power play, but then she's accelerated through the innings, which, um, you know, that doesn't normally happen. And, um, you know, she's been, her hitting has been so clean in that over um, against the Stars, where the five sixes. Yeah. I mean, you know, they were going 20 metres back. They're not just, just over the ropes. Yeah. They're, they're going a long way. <laughs> right, so look at the MCG boundary. It's one of the <laughs> biggest grounds in the world, um, both in terms of size, surface area, but also capacity. Um, we're getting towards the end, so I might as well ask you now. It's a nice little segue. 92,000 is what uh, what everyone's going for. Um, it can hold 100. But we might as well just go for 100, I think. Um what would 92,000 at the MCG mean to you? Um, I think it would be a very proud moment for anyone in the women's game, I think. Um, it would be that type of event I'd fly from England just to be at, whether I was, you know, um, you know, and I've said that on a numerous occasion. And I've tried to tell anyone in Australia, like the girls here, I said, you need to be there on yeah. the 8th of March. Don't miss it. Because um, especially if Australia are there, I mean, you know, I think... You know, if Australia are there, we're going to get a big crowd, aren't we? And mm-hmm. um, I think it'll be, you know, I pinch myself a lot in the women's game over the last um, two or three <laughs> years. But, you know, this could be one of the greatest moments in, in the women's game. 2017, Lords was packed out for the 50-over World Cup final. England v India, it was it was a magnificent game. Um, it was a magnificent feeling at the ground. I spoke to a lot of staff there that said, that have worked there for 30 years and said they'd never experienced mm. something like, like that before. Um, was that one of your proudest moments as a just as a person yeah. involved in the game? I think from an English point of view, and you know, everyone kept saying we, we'll fill Lords. You don't actually truly believe it until you see it. And I think you're absolutely right, Mel. I think everyone I've spoken to is said, you know, everyone was sat in their seat for the whole game. There wasn't anyone out on the nursery ground. They were just actually just so involved in the game. And in in many ways, I wish I wasn't commentating. I wish I was in you know in the yeah. crowd. You didn't actually <laughs> yes. feel it, did yeah. you? As yeah. much, but um, to you know, to walk out on the field when, you know, England left a trophy and to see that many people still sat there um, and, you know, you know, the lap of one of the players, you know, it was a very, very special day and Lords will always be very special. Um, but, you know, to have 92,000, I mean, I, I, yeah, I've got to see it to believe it again. Um, <laughs> but even if there's 50,000 there, I mean, it'd be an incredible atmosphere. Charlotte, you've seen a lot of T20 cricket over the years and the development of the game. One of the big things always is players have just missed out on the excitement factor of T20 cricket. Um, a couple of names that spring to your mind on players that, if they had the opportunity, could have absolutely dominated. Uh, without a doubt, um, Karen Rolton, I think. I think she played one T20 game at the end of her career, got 90-odd against yeah. us at Taunton. And 
Um, yeah, and that was the the last T20 game. But yeah, I think she would have really dominated with bat and ball. I think um, second one would probably be Rebecca Rolls from New Zealand. I oh, think good she, pick! Yeah, she retired too early in my opinion. Good wicketkeeper batter. She really was the first sort of one of the first players to really take on the power play as an opening batter mm-hmm. um, in fifty over cricket. You know, yeah. being a bit of a pinch hitter, and yeah. I think. Um, I know Rosie well, so I think she would have uh, loved the the T Twenty format. Another dual international too, played goalie for New Zealand football team. Yeah, no, she's a yeah really good um, athlete, and yeah, she did um, really well in in the, in the football as well. Okay, put your coach's hat on here. You've got um, three players to pick in your T Twenty team. You've got the selection of the entire world. <laughs> Who are they? Um, well, on current form, uh, Sophie Devine would have to be um, up there. I think I would have uh, Marizan Cap. Right. She's yep. probably out and out, probably one of the best um, opening bowlers and with economy as well. And this is a tough one, but just again on current form, Jess Jonathan, I think her left arm spin in the power play and just the way she's progressed with the bat, I think, at the moment. I think a lot of people would be surprised with that third name. I completely get what you mean, particularly her batting at the moment. She's taken it to next level at number three. I think bowlers win you, you know, um, T20 matches and I think um, probably that's highlighted in my my picks there. Yeah. Three handy picks? Yeah. Okay. In one word or less, can England win the T20 World Cup? Yes, they can. Yes, that's three. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Charlotte Edwards, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. (laughs) 